she said, people will forget what you said, people will forget what you did, but people will never forget how to make them feel. Hi, and welcome to another edition of the Ronin Leadership Podcast. Um, really uh, happy that uh, we're able to engage like this on a regular basis. I really thank you for uh, your comments that you made on, uh, and you continue to make on the previous podcasts. Uh, the feedback that you give us helps us to make the podcast better and make the content more relevant to you. So thank you, thank you very much for making that happen. Um, and like I do every time, uh, if you haven't done so, please pick up a copy of my first book, The Art of Ronin Leadership. Uh, and uh, you can see right behind me, uh, have a kind of an image of uh, my current book, The Art of uh, Executing Ronin Leadership Strategies. That book was uh, just released in print this week. It's been out on ebook for a while. Uh, but it, that book is because of all of you, because I got a lot of feedback from the first book saying, we like the book, love the book, but can you tell us how? You know, how do you build teams? Um, how do you develop a strategy? More, so this book is more of a how-to book. So uh, uh, it's on Amazon, it's on mycoverdoffin.com. So please take a look at that. But get that out of the way because I'm really excited about the guests that we have today. Uh, Maya Hu Chan uh, is a friend, uh, a colleague, um, and it's interesting, we met uh, years ago uh, at an ISMA meeting. Uh, for those of you who don't know, ISMA is International Security Management Association. It's the organization that has the top chief security officers in the world. The people that we bring in to speak to us are world-class speakers. And I heard Maya for the first time um, she's a keynote speaker. Uh, she's an executive coach for the C-suite on leadership. She's a best-selling author. We're going to get into all of that. But I, I was very, uh, like my colleagues saying, we were all obviously very impressed and uh, wanted to make sure we kept in contact over the years. It's been wonderful to, to watch uh, Maya's uh, career progression. And I'm following in her footsteps when it comes to writing. We'll get into that a little bit during the podcast. But Maya, I just want to welcome you to our podcast. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to be part of this. Thank you, Mike. Oh, what an honor to be on your podcast. Um, thank you for inviting me. You're welcome. You're welcome. Um, I guess, could you just, you know, tell tell my audience just a bit about yourself, you know, your, your background and uh, and and what, what your your kind of business journey. I want to, we want to go through that first a little bit. Sure, sure. So um, I let's start from the beginning. I was born and raised in Taiwan. Okay. And, uh, I um, finished my college and uh, came to the U.S. to go to graduate school. And so I um, attended University of Pennsylvania. And um, when I first landed the U.S. when I was 21 and, um, mm -hmm. you know, Philadelphia was my first stop. And wow. yeah. And so um, and I, uh, I studied uh, communications. And mm -hmm. my background in undergrad was um, journalism and business. Okay. Wow. So um, I uh, um, started to, um, you know, really become very, very interested in leadership. Was completely, mm -hmm. I, I can tell you that it goes way back when I was first grade. Really? Yeah. When I was first yeah. grade, I was a very shy, very timid little girl. And um didn't really want to say anything in school and it was just always sitting by myself and uh, so when I entered the first grade 
mm-hmm. my teacher, I still remember her, you know, so well. Her name is uh, Mrs. Liu. Yeah. She's in Taiwan. So Mrs. Liu, um, we had big class. There were 72 students in wow. first grade class. And so I don't know why, but the first day of the class, Mrs. Liu pointed me, I was sitting in the back and say, you, <laughs> you're going to be the class president. What? <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, what? Yeah. And, and then I had no idea what that meant, what that meant, right? right. What am I supposed to do? Yeah, and class so, president. <laughs> <laughs> it's, wow. a, it's a big title. So right. then she told me, and then she said, okay, so you are going to lead the class. And, um, but most important thing that you're going to do is that you're every day, we have um, six six periods in the, in a day, right? Mm-hmm. So there will be different teachers come in for each, each period. And uh, so the, when the teacher comes in to the classroom, the president is going to speak loud and clear and say, stand up. So then all 72 kids will stand up. Yeah. And then I say, bow. <laughs> Everybody will bow and then say, good morning, teacher. Wow. And then I'll say, sit down. Okay. And that's my job. Every mm. day I have to do it six times a day. And I was <laughs> absolutely terrified. I'm I, sure you were. It was like, oh, how am I going to possibly speak so loud? So the first day I tried it and I was like, almost like little mouse. Like, nobody could hear me, right? Right. <laughs> and then right. your teacher didn't say anything bad. She didn't scold me or anything. She said a little bit louder so we can all hear you. So then I start to project. Right. And then so my voice got louder and louder. By the end of the week, not only everybody can hear me, <laughs> the next classroom can next hear me. You found your voice. You found your voice. I found my voice. And that was it. I didn't have to say anything else. That was the main thing. And um, so hmm. I think that was kind of in- that inspired me to think that, wow, okay, if I actually um, use my voice, and mm-hmm. I speak up and, uh, you know, it, it's not so bad, you yes. know, yes. And, <laughs> yes. and then that also started to inspire my confidence. And then I started to feel like, okay, well, I can probably do more. So I had to work with different kids in my classroom that they are in charge of different duties mm-hmm. that I, I coordinated, I organized it. So starting from the first grade, that job lasted me just one year. Right. But I have mm-hmm. to tell you, I'm thankful for Mrs. Liu that she changed my life because at, at, from that point out, I admire leaders and I mm-hmm. became very interested in leadership and I also wanted to be a leader and I want to work with leaders. Wow, that made quite an impression on first grade. Yeah. That's awesome, yeah. Six years old. <laughs> wow, yeah. Now, I, I mean, I, I'm with you there because I was kind of like I said in the first book, I, I was just like you. I. I if I had a choice between an oral assignment or written, I would take written because I didn't want to get it in front of people. Um, and even as an adult at some point, you know, I was always, at one point, not anymore, but I was afraid of looking stupid, you know, or you open your mouth, like you said, you know, you didn't want to look stupid. Right. But you realize that you have a voice and you have something to say and people will actually will listen to you. So that was, that's a great golden nugget. And you learned it early in life. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then so 
I also learned that, um, you know, sometimes people may or may not realize that they can be leaders, right? Mm-hmm. And then so leaders, most of leaders are not born. They were, yeah. you know, they were, they, they, they're, there's, there are different circumstances that, that they, they can develop themselves or others can develop them because leadership a lot of times it's something that is a journey that we continue yeah. to learn and educate ourselves and practice leadership. And so, you know, it, 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 it can be something that uh, we continue to, uh, to cultivate. So, yes. um, so I became very interested in leadership, but then I didn't know that that was going to become my profession. Yeah, right. My, my my study was that I wanted to be a journalist mm-hmm. when I was in undergrad um, uh, study, and uh, but I also had a business background. I thought, you know what, I'm I'm really interested in both. So um, when I came to the U.S. to um, um, uh, to to study graduate school, I studied communications, and mm-hmm. um, then um, I, before I graduated, I actually had during during the the graduate study, I actually started. I work for a, 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 a newspaper mm-hmm. as a just like kind of a side job. And because I enjoy writing and I also just love talking to people, right? Mm-hmm. So then I started working, talking to community leaders and politicians. And then I learned more and more about um, leadership, but it still, it wasn't clear what I was going to do. But then mm-hmm. uh, after I moved to San Diego from Philadelphia, after I graduated, it was completely by accident that I actually got um, to work with uh, Marshall Goldsmith. Wow, my, that's uh, huge! Uh, so, um, so he, he uh, people, you know, for, for, for your audience that who may or not may not know who he is, that uh, Marshall, Dr. Marshall Goldsmith, is, was rated number one best um, CEO coaches in the world, and then mm-hmm. has, he has written, you know, multiple New York Times bestseller books, and uh, he, so he was my mentor, but back then, yes. when I started working with him, I yeah. learned um, back, you know, this was 30 some years ago, it's everything about leadership, right, and so I started to, um, back then, there was no coaching, it was mm-hmm. just developing leaders, so we do programs, we, we go, we, we have a, you know, leadership programs, we train leaders, and then we teach, and then we 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 would uh, we, we would teach them how to what are some of the skill set to become an effective leader, and um, so you know, um, but over time it started to evolve. So I I find that this is definitely something that I was very passionate about. Mm-hmm. Um, but then later on, I actually left the field and then became a CEO for a nonprofit in college. Okay. So then I had some leadership experiences and I realized that, wow, this is really, you know, leadership, you need some really underground experiences. Yeah. And uh, but then eventually that I came back to leadership development because I find that this is what, this is, you know, my calling. This is what right. is to be able to work with leaders. Um, so then um, I started to, to do more coaching and teaching mm. and, um, um, speaking and also research and writing so those are the things that i've been doing and then the, i also find that i'm particularly interested in global leadership mm-hmm. cultural management and also diversity and inclusion and so yeah. this is kind of the area that i am particularly interested in and i also find that because of my background and experiences that i can actually contribute um, in a meaningful way in those areas Absolutely. I mean, that's, you know, Marshall Goldsmith, I've, I've mentioned him in my books, 
a couple of times, especially what got you here won't get you there, you know, that, that, right. and so the fact that you were able to really train under him and learn from him is, is really huge. And what you said at the end also is very interesting because I don't find a, a lot of folks out there who are coaching and teaching that are really looking at either DNI or looking at global leadership it tends to be very parochial, you know, it's us centric or British or blah, blah, blah. So the fact that you're trying to cut across cultures, cut across geographies is really, really, um, uh, really important uh, work to do. Are, are you finding, uh, are you finding a ready audience for that as you're, as you're developing this, this line of your business? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, our, as you know, our world is getting smaller and smaller, right? Yeah. Everything yeah. we do, um, you know, when we think about the work we do, um, regard, you know, it doesn't matter if you're a Fortune 500 company, corporation, um, or you're a, um, a small family-owned business, that we're in, in so many ways that we work with people, you know, across geography, culturals, mm -hmm. and just all kinds of diverse backgrounds. And, um, you know, we do so much uh, work on the internet, and then we we work with people who are who are from different different uh, backgrounds. So mm -hmm. I think this particular topic about global leadership and then how and it's and how do you work across differences is so important for leaders. Okay, yeah. it's almost like it's a it's it's a it's a um, uh, it's really a competitive advantage for leaders to have that kind of global mindset. Yes. Uh, so then they can work with you know, across all those differences, but then being able to bring people all together and accomplish yeah. um, the purpose and the mission of the business. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it, I remember at Microsoft, it was, it was uh, so you would find leaders that had that global mindset. So let's say you have a global team because we're, we're a multinational company, right? You have, a, let's say you have a team in Istanbul. There were some people that, you know, if they wanted to have a meeting with it, it was always going to be Redmond time, right? It was always going to be Seattle time, U.S. time, as opposed to, well, now you need to get out of your comfort zone and get on their time zone, right? So you wake up at 11 o'clock at night and be cognizant and respectful of their needs, right? But it's amazing that how many people didn't even think about that, right? Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, so having a global mindset, it really means that, um, it requires leaders to always think globally. Like your perfect example you just provided, right? Is that when we work with team members, when we work with customers who are in a different time zone, who is from a different country, that and oh, it can be even people in the same country that are all based in the U.S., but we have different different backgrounds. That should we should always kind of take it into consideration what is their frame of reference? Where are they yeah. coming from? And uh, it's not just all about, you know, US centric, that mm -hmm. this is where we're based. And so we we schedule all the meetings at 9 a.m. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Right. and it's, it's for our convenience. I actually often heard, because uh, I, in my coaching and work with leaders uh, around the globe, that I often you know, hear about leaders who are not based in the U.S. or not based in the headquarter talking about, oh boy, I am, um, you know, I, I, I was up at uh, until one o'clock, you know, twice a week for this team, team project team call, uh, yeah. or, you know, um, people are expecting me to work on the weekends because they, they don't realize that, well, this is 
you know, my time off. And, um, and, and then even nowadays that we were doing a lot of the video calls because, right. of, you know, working from home that, um, you know, it would be ideal, of course, to have everybody turn on their videos. But then sometimes that people are, you know, in a, in a different country that they may not feel comfortable doing yeah. this. You know, I actually mm -hmm. once had a leader in on the call with me and then he said, I'm really uncomfortable turning on my video um, because I am talking to you from my bathroom. I'm sitting, uh -huh. on the, I'm sitting right. on the toilet, right, basically. And he said, because we have a very small apartment, I have right. little kids, and um, there's just no, no, no place for me to have this conversation, you know, uh, without interruption. So it's like, okay, this is completely understandable. But I think a lot of times that leaders, if we, to have a global mindset, it's not just only that we need to have a very strategic perspective about global business, but also comes down to how do we interact with people one-on-one, -on -one, right? Yes. What are they going through? And um, what I'm saying, is it offensive to them? Or am I making <laughs> myself clear, right? Yeah. Am I using um, American slangs and idioms when I communicate with them? Is there any misunderstanding? You know, do I come across as rude or do I come across as empathetic and, mm. and um, you know, appreciative? So it really is something that leaders need to be more mindful about. Yeah, I agree. That's that's awesome. And I think really good nuggets for uh, the audience to to hear uh, this perspective. But something was interesting to me. So you were working for Marshall with Marshall, I should say, and then you took off and you you became CEO of a nonprofit, which I think is great because, like you like you said, you know, you have to be a practitioner really to understand leadership. So what were some of the nuggets that you learned in the years that you were doing that 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 really, I don't know, was it a surprise to you or uh, how was your journey as CEO of becoming a, and actually leading an organization? Yeah, well, I love that question. You know, Mike, I, 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 one thing that I've learned is that um, there's a big difference between managers and leaders. Yes. Okay. So a lot of times people are confused about those two terms. And so what's the difference? And so managers, the way I look at it is that managers manage things. Mm -hmm. Leaders lead people. Okay. So um, mm -hmm. managers tend to do things like they set objectives, they set the timelines, they, uh, they deal with resources, they delegate responsibilities, they check on results and they evaluate efficiency those kind of things, they manage the timeline and projects. So managers manage stuff, manage things, manage resources. Mm. But then the leaders, what does the leader do? Well, leaders need to do some of that, of course, but then leaders needs to also focus on inspiring confidence okay? and build vision. And they have to interpret situations, helping people connect dots and, um, they have to be able to mobilize people, yes. right? So um, as a leader, you have to not only excel in the hard skills, the technical mm -hmm. skills, the what, but also the soft skills as well. And then to be able to connect with people, to build trust, build relationships and inspire people. And mm -hmm. so the soft skills is just as important, if not more important 
than the hard skill. The higher yeah. up you go, the more important it is to be able to build that kind of um, soft skill to be able to work with people. Yeah. So I think that's the biggest difference. And that's what I learned as a leader myself. And also over the years working with, you know, senior leaders, executives, and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, um, uh, around the world that this is so important is not just focus on the technical, the hard skills, but then, you know, how do I really work with people? Yeah. Do you, do you find that? Uh, I, I love that answer. Do, do you find that to be so a question in my head is, so you work with folks all around the world, leaders, and obviously there are differences, but is, are there some common traits that you found that, uh, that you find in leaders that, that require, you know, obviously you to, to, to coach them and, and get them to understand, is it the more of the soft skill thing that you were talking about? Is that, is that some, something that's common among a lot of leaders that they're trying to do the right thing, but they don't quite have those soft skills yet? Is, is that fair yeah. question? Yeah. Well, typically um, when I work with leaders, um, we would do a 360 you know, leadership assessment. Oh, and yes. So, you know, so <laughs> I, what, I remember. <laughs> you remember those, right? So yeah. what 360 uh, feedback process uh, means that, so we would either survey or interview the leader's boss, peers, and also their direct reports, sometimes also include their, their, their customers, right? Mm -hmm. And to get feedback, those are all confidential feedback about mm -hmm. their experience and perception about working with this leader. And then we collect all those feedback and the two, um, and, and then we, we, we look at what, what is the strength? Uh, what are the, some of the core strengths of this leader? And what right. are some of the key areas the leaders needs to develop or perhaps it's the blind spot. So, you know, um, over the years I've worked with literally thousands of leaders uh, in all different mm -hmm. industries, um, around the world that um, one thing that I've learned is that, you know, they, I don't need to teach them any hard skills. Okay. Because they get to yeah. hard because they're technically very competent. Right. Right. They don't need to, you know, learn any more of that from me. But what they tend to need to focus on is how do you lead? And how do you interact with people? How do you build that trust and relationship? And then how do you create that vision? And mm -hmm. how do you develop your people? How do you grow your talents? And then how do you yeah. bring team together uh, to accomplish this common purpose, right? And so those are, so definitely those are some of the key challenges. And I also have found that um, many leaders that I work with are really struggling with um, building their executive presence mm -hmm. okay their leadership presence and mm -hmm. um, um, you know sometimes that they may have very very strong technical skills and uh, you know but then they they don't feel like the people are they, you know they are people are listening to them or taking mm -hmm. them and then sometimes that because of their particular communication style or leadership style that does not always um, foster positive relationships with others. So, right. um, so those are some of the key areas that um, we tend to work on. Is mm -hmm. um, it's really help leaders develop those soft skills because mm -hmm. soft skills are very hard <laughs> to master. 
They are. It takes a bit of introspection and emotional intelligence, I think, right, to mm -hmm. to really get to the point where you uh, know yourself well enough, flaws and all, that you're comfortable in your own skin so you can actually be natural and be a real leader, right? Yeah, yeah. And then that's also one of the reasons that I wrote my most recent book, Saving mm -hmm. Face. It was like because I, you know, my years of you know, experience working with leaders, I realized that one of the key challenges that people have, um, you know, um, when it comes to leading is that, uh, you know, they, they often tell me I have, you know, um, team members that are, are really have some conflict that I have to deal with, or right. a lot of times that, um, there was the people are not motivated or perhaps they are, um, um, there was a lot of um, um, uh, performance issues. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to you know those kind of issues, and I when it drill down to it, right, and I find that it has a lot to do with um, how people interact and relate to each other. Okay. And then how the leader actually lead in those kind of situations. So um, when it when it comes down to it, a lot of times that it's when you hear the term, it's not about the money. A lot of times it's often about how they feel they're being treated or okay. um, how they feel like if they belong. So I call that about face. Yes. Right. Wow. Uh, yeah, you're, you're, you're spot on. Uh, when people leave because of leaders or bad management, bad leadership, right? Uh, when they talk to HR all the time, uh, HR will tell you, well, you know, nine times out of 10, they're leaving not because they didn't like the job, they don't like how they're being led or not being led, right? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that, you know, um, I, I love this quote from Maya Angelou that okay. um, um, I think we all, all heard of this quote. She said, people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did. But people will never forget how you make them feel. Yeah, that's brilliant. Yes. Yeah, that's so true. That is, and that's a great leadership kind of thing for people to, to carry within themselves as leaders to remember that right absolutely absolutely yeah. Yeah. yeah so then how do you really build that trust and yeah. also preserve the uh that dignity right make, mm -hmm. make people feel that they're valued appreciated and respected and yeah. so they wanted to follow you and uh you know it being a leader is not about telling people what to do yeah it's not about giving orders and it's not about you have this big fancy title you know it's about inspiring people so they wanted to follow you and wanted to achieve that 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 common goal with you yeah yeah that's so true that is so true um so you're in this journey your journey yeah and uh you know i mean you have you've written two books correct or is this your third yeah, no, actually, I the so I author co authored 14 books total. Okay. Uh, but uh, Saving Book, Saving Face is the book that I am the only author, and that's okay. the newest one. Yes. Wow. So what, um, what what inspired you to to write that book? Well, you know, that's that's a good question. I think what um I've been thinking about writing this book for years. Okay. Yeah. And, um, you know, as I have been coaching and leading, uh, coaching and working with leaders around the mm -hmm. world for, you know, um, 25 years, and I learned so much about their success stories and also their struggles, their challenges, 
you know, such as burned out conflicts and, and uh, you know, high attrition rate and burned mm. out, uh, uh, those kind of issues. The most consistent characteristics that um, in nearly all of those challenges is that how people deal with each other. And um, I have actually shared this concept, this concept of face. Okay. And it, it, it resonates with leaders at all levels across different cultures. Mm-hmm. And this is so essential for their leadership. But it's also sometimes counterintuitive sometimes. Mm-hmm. Right? So, so the face is actually a universal concept that um, beyond its origin in Asia. Okay. And the concept of face permeates all the social business interactions. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it speaks to the common human desire to be accepted and respected. So as I was contemplating and thinking about this concept about face, you know, has three key concepts, saving face Mm -hmm. and honoring face, and also avoid causing people to lose face. Those are the key things, right? And then I think, well, how can I um, put this in together so that to really help leaders build that that kind of relationship that is solid, long-term, and then can really help them foster this positive relationship, you know, uh, across all the human differences. Mm-hmm. And so I started to put together some of the key concepts and, you know, start thinking about, you know, in this day and age that leaders in large companies and small organizations, we all have to deal with, number one, we work with diverse teams. Mm-hmm. Right? We work with people across, you know, with different backgrounds. And then we also have to work with people virtually, you know, yes. in the remote team. And we use technologies, but we really see people face-to-face in person. So that's mm-hmm. a big challenge for leaders. And that also social media, it's another challenge that is so easy to offend or insult somebody without this mm. normal check and, ba- and balance of having exactly. yeah. you know, yeah. the actual confront them face-to-face with your slide. So mm. as I think about all the situation that we're facing right now, and um, I think this ancient concept, mm-hmm. this 3,000-year-old concept about face, and it's it's really relevant in today's world. And then how do we go back to the basics? Mm-hmm. Really start thinking about in our everyday interaction with people, what can I do to honor face for this person? Meaning that how can I acknowledge them, listen to them and treat them with respect? And how can I avoid causing them to lose face? Meaning that to Make, don't make them feel humiliated or insulted, but then really to honor them for who yeah. they are. And, um, but at the same time, how do I save face when there is a potentially very damaging or sensitive situation, but then still positive, create positive results? Mm-hmm. So, you know, and people often ask me, well, are you saying saving face means you're just not going to deal with the situation? Mm-hmm. Um, no, actually, it's the exact opposite. When we think about saving face, saving face is not about being soft. Mm-hmm. It's not about avoiding the conflict or dance around the issue. And it's not about tolerating poor performance 
or try to cover up your own mistakes or avoid accountability um, or being phony or just have lip service. It's, an, it's the opposite of that. So in order to save face successfully, you need to have both accountability and benevolence. Yes, okay, so, yeah. Yeah, so benevolence meaning kindness and being able to demonstrate respect. So you have to do both. You have to be able to demonstrate respect at the same time, being able to hold people accountable. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a balance, uh, but it's, yeah, I think I think it's brilliant because uh, it was going through my head as you were talking about it, the, the saving face, honoring face, and you know trying to not help people lose face. But this the the, the concepts that you, that you you've talked about are really needed, especially in today's world. Uh, we're we're so fragmented and disjointed, and that not just with governments and politics, but it goes into business as well. And you know it's hard enough for people. I mean, I'm kind of glad I'm retired, you know, so I'm not in the enterprise world anymore. But I can imagine, you know, the pressures of, you know, the post-pandemic and all these other pressures. So this 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 concept you're talking about is is really needed, and it's not it's not it. You could still be, like you said, hold people accountable, but be very cognizant of the feelings. It goes back to the Maya Angelou quote, I think, right? Yeah, yeah. And then the, the, the interesting thing here is, Mike, sometimes we can cause people to lose face. We don't even know it. Hmm. Right? And, and a lot of time it's completely unintentional. Yeah. Like, so let me uh, share a true story with you. A client of mine, I was, I've been coaching him for a while. And okay. um, he, um, he was on the phone with me one time and uh, he was visibly upset. Right? Hmm. And then so this is a Singaporean executive. Okay. that he's based in Singapore, but works with the American company. This is a mm -hmm. global company. Um, and so he had been working for a global company for, you know, um, a couple, uh, you know, like for almost 15, 20 years, right? So he speak, of course, perfect English and uh, very, very polished and, and uh, successful. But then his manager, his manager is American. And I also okay. know right mm -hmm. so then uh, during that coaching session i um i can i could tell something was wrong something was mm. off then what happened are you okay he said well i'm really upset because um i had a really bad call with my my manager john okay and i said it's not a real name by the way yeah <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah so i say tell me what happened and he said well he said i was stupid and I am so humiliated. I'm I'm really upset. And I um I you wow. know I'm I'm really really um you know insulted by that. And I said, well, tell me more. Tell me more about what happened, right? And he said, yeah, we were talking about this new marketing initiative, and um, I was sharing some of my ideas with him. And then and then John said something like, oh, it's a no brainer, right? And uh, so um. And as soon as I heard that, I knew yeah. it was a misunderstanding, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So then I said, okay, okay. So let me let me tell you what no-brainer means in a right. conversation, right? In a, in a, in a, in a U.S. Uh, con context. 
And then uh, I said, it didn't, and then he said, well, no brainer means I have no brain. Means he thought I was stupid. I said, no, 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 it's actually, that's, that's not wow. what he meant, right? And I explained to him what it actually meant. It's actually right. not a negative concept at all. And yeah. then so I was like, oh, okay, well, hey, that's 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 kind of obvious. Well, you know, let's go with that. So um, as soon as he heard what that meant, he was so relieved. Right? Mm. And uh, I mean, do you think that he was going to, if we didn't have that conversation, okay? And do you think he would go back to John and say, why did you say I'm stupid? Do you think yeah. he would confront him? Never. No, never. Yeah. And then what's going to, what's likely to happen? You know, yeah, he'd just feel demoralized and just have these conceptions that aren't real, but to him, they're real. Exactly. Right? And then he's going to feel terrible. And then this is probably going to damage his relationship with John. And then yeah. John didn't even know yeah. what happened. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. So like, like this kind of situation oh. happens all the time, right? Yeah. When it comes to communication that and it could it could be has nothing to do sometimes it has nothing to do with language mm -hmm. and it could be just the tone of your voice when you're on the phone or in your email communication or your text message if you're in a hurry maybe it can come across as as um as short with people or or um you know sometimes we may cut people off those kind of things and those are simple things that can really um cause people to lose face and then they can um erode trust yeah yeah that's a, that's an interesting story because as soon as you said yeah with, with you know it's a it's a no-brainer like what you know <laughs> wow. what's wrong with that <laughs> i know right what's wrong with that yeah that's a great story uh so you know you're working now in different companies and so you know you've got let's say the baby boomer generation, right? And mm -hmm. they're probably starting to retire, move on, but a lot of them are still at work. Um, do you find any differences in terms of the people being receptive to your message, whether it's uh, it's, it's age group demographics or experience wise? I mean, are you finding, uh, is there a difference? Well, you know, that is a really interesting question. You know, Mike, I... Um... You know, as we uh, <laughs> um, hmm. we work with leaders more and more now, these days I notice that my clients are younger and younger, yeah. right? And right. so I used to work with leaders who are in their you know forties and fifties, and now many senior leaders are actually in their thirties, yeah. and a lot of the high potentials are actually in their mid to late twenties. And so when I start working with them and 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 then learning about their responsibilities as leaders. And um, also, you know, their struggles and their challenges, as well as some um, what they believe, their core mm -hmm. values. And then I think a lot of this uh, concept of faith really resonate with them, because mm -hmm. um, they 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 realize that a lot of the the younger leaders are um, uh, really value those personal connections, mm -hmm. right? And they want to be empowered and they want to be heard. And they wanted to actually feel that they are they belong and they're part of the organization, they're part of the team. And um, a lot of times that they also wanted to feel that, you know, uh, there is a lot of negative um, perceptions about 
the Gen Zs or the millennials, mm -hmm. and, you know, there is a lot of negative uh, sort of definition about them. But then when you look closer and when you talk with them, you realize that, no, they're actually are, are it, those, a lot of that are not accurate. Many of them are, are really hard workers and uh, but then they show up differently. They say, you know what, I am. I they they have a vision about. I would like to be someday have my own business, for example, or I want to be um, the expert in this particular area. And mm -hmm. I work for this company now, but I don't see that I'm going to work here for thirty years. I see myself working here for five years, and then I'm going to move on to something else, and then I may start my own, you know, practice or business um, down the road. But when I'm here, I will work as hard as I can. I like to collaborate and I like to, you know, advance my career. And, um, but I also want work-life balance. Mm -hmm. I don't want to work 80 hours a week. I'm going to make sure I, I take care, take time for my family and for my hobbies and for my health. And, um, you know, so they, they're, they're, they have, they have different priorities than their, their parents' generation. Yeah. And so I think that as, as leaders that we need to pay attention to that and say, you know, what are some of the things that we need to do to honor that mm -hmm. so that we can have the best environment for our workers, for our employees at the same time. So then they can do their best work because they feel valued and appreciated and uh, really respect that diversity, right? Because yeah. not to expect that, why can't you work as hard as me? When I was your age, I was blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> They're different. Uh, that it's, it's not better or worse, but it's- It's I just different. It's different, yeah. Yeah, it's so, it's just funny. You you mentioned that because I don't think you ever met her. Her name was Samantha. She was my business manager at Microsoft. I talk about her a lot. She's a millennial. And I remember we were at a security conference, not ISMA, another organization, as is, and- uh, there was a session on sort of leadership styles, different demographics, right? But it was interesting. There were two baby boomers, right, my age, giving the presentation, and they brought up a slide about the millennials. So millennials are this, 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 and this, right? And so I was, I was sitting next to Sam. I said, well, they had questions. You know, I kind of raised my hand. I said, you know, you guys are talking about millennials. You have one right here. A lot of you know her. Why don't you ask her if those things are accurate, right? Uh, because it was exactly like you were saying, yeah. it was, there was the connotation was that it was negative because they act a different way. Yeah. But as you so brilliantly put it, it's not good or bad. It's it is what it is, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then they just have different priorities. And so I think as leaders, one of the things I've learned um, from doing uh, right when I was writing the global leadership book, okay, and yes. um, you know, and also years of working with leaders that. One of the key characteristics for an effective leader is adaptability. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right? So it's not one size fits all. You know, when you work with different people in different situations, and whether you know they're millennials or Gen Zs or baby boomers or Gen X, think about what is what is the best um, scenario that you can work with them so that they can feel psychologically safe yes. at work and uh, not being judged for who they are if they wanted to have a blue hair okay yeah. <laughs> have blue hair if yeah. uh but if if that if their role 
if they get their they do their job well and mm -hmm. uh you know and then they can accomplish what they they're there to do and uh, or they 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 rather work four days straight and mm -hmm. 10 hours mm -hmm. a day versus yeah. nine to five every day or some of them say hey you know what i you know there's just give them some flexibility and then at the same time holding them accountable and knowing that the, some of the things, the key motivators may be very different from person to person, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. so being able to adapt, you know, your leadership style and to, to truly grow and support your talent. Yeah. Leading. yeah, I love, I love that word adaptability. I'm glad you, 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 you mentioned that because that is important. And I also love the fact that a couple of times. Uh, in our conversations, you've mentioned the accountability piece. So while you can be introspective and have good emotional intelligence, you still have a business to run. You still have, you know, P&Ls to meet and that kind of stuff. And so uh, holding people accountable is great. Um, I have one one final question that I actually haven't asked anybody, but it just struck me as we were talking, right? So you, you talked about your experiences in first grade, finding your voice with Mrs. Lou, right? And uh, and then, you know, worked as a as, as a as a CEO, now you're, you're, you're coaching. There's a, I find a lot of people that I've mentored over the years, the one thing that's an obstacle, and I actually wrote about it in, in, in my last book, but speaking in public, right? So first grade, you, you found your voice, but, you know, obviously at some point in your life, you're, you're making speeches and you're, you're doing presentations in front of the C-suite, you know, board of directors, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that that tell us about that journey. So while you had your voice, did you ever have any doubts? Were you ever scared before you got in front of people? Or I mean, because I think I think people want to listen to that because they yeah. think that everybody who's a public speaker, oh, oh, you guys, you just know how to speak in public. No, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Right. Uh -huh. Well, Mike, I'm you know I'm glad you asked this question because that was one of the top three topics that I coach executives on. Mm -hmm. Is public speaking. And how do you develop that confidence and, uh, um, you know, to be able to show up and, you know, uh, well, as, as a leader, but then to be able to convey your message in mm -hmm. a way that um, that's compelling and be able to influence others and inspire others. So, you know, um, my journey has been, um, you know, it's, I, I don't think it's, I was a born speaker at all. Mm -hmm. In fact, like I said, I, when I was first grade, I was very shy. I never right. really say a word. Right. But then naturally I also, I'm not a very um, outspoken person. And mm -hmm. then, so I think that what happened was that um, over the years that there are many opportunities come my way to require me to be, to stand in front of the group to speak. And um, so, you know, um, I think the most important thing that I have learned is that number one, you gotta practice. Yes. Now, it's, it doesn't come yeah. automatically. Even the best speaker I know, I actually I've met and worked with a lot of professional speakers, mm -hmm. and um, some of them they made it look so easy. But you don't know that they've been practicing 20, 30, 50 hours before mm -hmm. they get on stage and do their presentation. Right. right. All this hard work will pay off if you actually put in your your putting some time to really, really practice. So mm -hmm. I think practice is really key. 
and um there's uh, um you know there are many ways that i think we can we can uh develop that skill set but another thing i think for me is it, it really helps um is to be able to visualize the outcome mm -hmm. okay and uh so i've learned that through um um one of the the the, the coaches that i work with that she actually helped me with with my public speaking skills this was years ago and um um she told me she said you know close your eyes and then envision envision that i just remember do you remember one of the the, the talk that you gave that went well it doesn't matter how mm. small it was it could be just three people it could be right. with 500 people but right. go gonna go back to that setting and then and then think about at the end how did it describe to me how did that feel it was like i feel that people were um you know um they were they were they were excited and then they they were giving me a standard ovation and the, whatever that was right think about mm -hmm. how that makes you feel and then envision that this next presentation you're going to make at the end of that presentation that's what's going to happen and i find that exercise extremely helpful because you know that you've been there, you've done it. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And then you put yourself in that end state. You know, like a Stephen Covey said that always keep the the um uh what was the saying that keep the first thing um um the end state in mind, right? Mm -hmm. And then so so then I, I like to envision that and then it just provide that kind of um um mental um confidence psychological confidence that when I woke up there I, I already see the end and I knew that it's going to be fine yeah yeah see I I, I love that practice I practice 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 but I love the visualization though uh special forces navy seals they do a lot of visualizing you know which is why they can they can perform well in adverse circumstances because they've already visualized them succeeding or like you said going back to a time when an operation went smoothly and everybody came out alive and whatever it was right so I really like I think for people listening you should really take that to heart the practice piece but the visualization piece gives you a sense of calm and yes. also gives you confidence right that you can do this yes yes Mike I love that that example that you provided absolutely Navy SEALs a special force it's you have to it, you know it really kind of calm you down because in your heart in your gut you know that it's going to work out. Yeah, yeah. Stay the course. Stay the course. And the other thing that you know, for me, it was an epiphany for me when I first started speaking was, you know, I go back to my school days, right? I'm afraid that people are going to either make fun of you or they're not going to like something you say, but you have an audience that essentially are there to listen and learn, right? Yeah. They They want to learn from you. They're not there to throw stones at you or... They want to take a nugget so they can go back and become better leaders. And so yeah. to me, that also keeping that in, in that they're not a hostile audience. Now, if you if you don't do a good speech and you didn't do the prep work, they could be eventually, but nine times out of ten, they just want you to give them something. And in turn, hopefully you get that dialogue and they give you something back, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then you know, even if you make a mistake, right? Yeah. And there are two ways you can you can you can you can you can deal with it. Number one is that just 
make fun of yourself and just make a joke out of it. You know, it's use yeah. humor to say, oops, here, 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 here it goes again. Look what I did. That's the wrong slide, but we'll get back to it, you know. Or something. Right. <laughs> exactly. Or my, you know, something completely went off, uh, you know, the, the, the script. I mean, you just make fun of it. And uh, or sometimes people don't even know that you made a mistake. Sure. You forgot to tell a story. If you, if you, um, you know, whatever that is, you forgot to make a, you know, you have five points. You only mentioned four. Nobody knows. Right. right. So you just carry on. Just right. keep going. Take a deep breath. Yeah. And I like that. This, you've said that many times on this in this talk too. Carry on. Just keep going, you know, which I think yeah. is awesome. You know, I could go on and on talking to you. I felt like <laughs> I, I felt like I'm sitting in one of your speeches like back at Isma, you know, because uh, <laughs> I've learned I've, I've learned a lot. And I think the audience has, has learned a lot about what you have to, to say. There's a lot of nuggets here that uh, I'm gonna actually capture myself. I want I'm gonna I want to get a copy of your book. Um, so if you could tell our audience, you know, again, the name of the book, how we, how they can get the book, and then how can people contact you if they want to be able to use your services, your team services uh, to, to become better leaders? Absolutely. So um, the book is available on Amazon.com, and it's um, either in, uh, in print version or uh, audio version or ebook you know three okay. different versions in uh, all on amazon and uh, you also can contact me through my website so the web mm -hmm. website is www.mayahuchan.com and it's my name m-a-y-a-h-u-c-h-a-n.com mm -hmm. awesome awesome yeah so uh, uh this has been this has been a lot of fun this has been a lot. This Me has been too. a book. We can talk is, forever, Mike. We could. We could do this like for two hours, you know. And uh, <laughs> we, we may have to probably have to bring you back on at some point uh, to to Anytime. get some other. Oh, good. I'm I'm glad. Uh, but really, thank you for uh, taking the time out of your. I know you're very busy schedule uh, to do this. I think the the folks that are listening to this, they're going to glean a lot of nuggets from this, and uh, we're certainly uh, here to, to to help and support. Uh, what you're doing, because I think what you what you're doing is really important. Uh, the points that you talked about, uh, especially, you know, the, the saving face and honoring face and you know, making sure that people don't lose face. You know, I think those kinds of concepts are, are really important, especially in, like we said, in today's world. So thank you for what you're doing to raise and grow better leaders and to teach them to stay the course. <laughs> thank you, Mike. All the best. Thank All you right, so you much too. for having me. All right. Take care. Hold on.